0: Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Alexis Austin is the CEO of Wright Law Group, a Colorado Springs criminal defense law firm founded in June 2018. Alexis's leadership and vision have steered the company to consecutive years of 40% increase in annual gross revenue. She has grown the business from one to six full-time employees and four contractors. As a result of Alexis's relentless pursuit of excellence, RLG is emerging as a sleeker, technology-savvy, and superior criminal defense firm. So we're really eager here to have her here today. Alexis, welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great. So I there's so much that I want to talk to you about today about your firm, but why don't we start out by just telling everybody a little bit about your journey into law and becoming a lawyer and what made you decide to start your own law firm?
1: Uh, Sure. I think the easiest way to sum up my journey into law is I've always been a seeker of knowledge. I've always wanted to better myself and do the next thing. So in undergrad, I had I think my my number was five to six different major changes. (laughs) Um, And I ended up majoring in psychology. Um, But I was taking a lot of philosophy classes just to understand the world. I was raised in a very religious household and trying to understand my upbringing as well. And my last semester of college, I went in and they said, well, if you take one extra class, you'll double major in psychology and philosophy. So I left undergrad with a double major. And it's I mean, there are only really two options with those types of majors. You either go on to do a Ph.D. in psychology or you take the LSAT.
0: So right. I made
1: a bet with a friend. I took the LSAT and, uh, my friend took, um, the GRE and then we never went back. Um, so I went to law school. I really, I went to DU because I was very interested in the practical applications that DU had. Mm-hmm. DU known for their clinical program and their ability for you to just jump in. Um, I've always been able to learn on my own. So having the instruction wasn't as important as having the hands-on experience. And while at DU, I, um, got experience working at a DA's office. And ultimately that's where I ended up going was to the DA's office after graduation. So I was a district attorney for a little over three years. Um, and then I moved to two different DA's offices. And then a, a local attorney here in Colorado Springs, Colorado was retiring. Um, and he was looking for someone to take over his private law firm partnership. So another man was his partner, um, the attorney, was, the attorney that was selling had some significant health problems, and I will never not be grateful for this man because he saw something in me that I think I didn't see. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he offered me a chance to buy into a partnership at a rate that was outrageously gracious. Um, wow. I don't think I would have had that experience otherwise. He let me do a 24-month payment plan on my buy-in. It was just, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, so I left the DA's office, bought into the firm. And began my career as an entrepreneur. Um, at that law firm, I really got to learn how a criminal defense firm traditionally operates. The firm had been in existence for about 40 years. So mm-hmm. I had 40 years of data to go through, and going through all that data, especially the marketing spend and the overhead and the revenue, really kind of gave me a feel for the pulse in this area. And I had a lot of changes I wanted to make because like I said, I'm always a learner. So when I left the DA's office, I was listening to everything I could get my hands on. I like to listen to books while I work out or shower or drive. Right, um, right. So I was listening to <clears throat> podcasts, um, books um, on Audible, anything that I could sink my teeth into. And I had all of these ideas, but my firm was a traditional family feel firm. And it got to a point where it was a partnership. It was 50-50. And I just, I couldn't make it work to do what i thought was best for the company and really move forward in an aggressive manner while maintaining the integrity of what that firm was Mm -hmm. so what i ended up doing is i sold my half of the firm after a little over a year to a family man Um, he has right i think he now has five kids (laughs) um because it, it was a better fit for him he was looking for something more stable and i knew he would be a good steward of the firm and i launched out on my own to build a more technologically advanced um streamlined firm so when we opened Right Law Group, I had a couple of clients that came over with me from my old firm, but that's it. I had terrible credit. I had absolutely no savings, um, didn't even have a savings account. Um, I had an apartment and my husky and me, <laughs> that's it.
0: Wow. Um,
1: I launched the firm with uh, another lawyer in town, co-signed to let me get a $12,000 loan from a bank. Um, the bank i don't think was going to let me have a loan they thought Uh that it was just some upstart young attorney who left the da's office but i came in with a full-fledged business plan my idea for how this firm was going to look exactly what i wanted to do and the only reason i think i was able to do that was because of all the self-taught coaching that i was doing and all of the information i'd learned from my previous firm so they reluctantly gave me a $12,000 loan and I used that money to get an office space right downtown. And I, I'm a big fan of Jen Sinchiro. Have you ever read her You're a Badass books? Oh, yeah, yes. So I have. she's all she's fantastic. And she's all about stepping into where you want to be, not where you are. So she tells a great story about purchasing an Audi when she didn't have the money because it's her dream car that she wanted.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: did the same thing. I bought the car I wanted um it was i mean it was an older model but what i wanted was a red suv that was a luxury brand with heated
0: seats and leather
1: interior and i got it <laughs> um i purchased uh, an office space overlooking the courthouse in the front range here in colorado springs that i could have gotten for half the price in another building without the view but i wanted that mindset i wanted that push and that mentality and so i just jumped um Doing that forced me to have to find revenue because I had to pay my rent, and I, I would lock myself into a two-year lease. So I started really pushing and marketing. Um, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I trusted people that I should not have. And the the biggest thing that I think I learned was there's something to if you get into the right place and the right mentality, and you're I'm I'm not a religious person, but I'm a deeply spiritual person.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: believe that if you listen and you let God guide you and you actually do what you know to be right, what everybody else says doesn't really matter. If you know it's right and it's the right path for you, do it. And every time I followed that, it worked. Every time I followed someone else's advice, it kind of fell flat, if not crashed and burned. So um,
0: So so that's a lot to, that's a lot to unpack there. I've got questions, so let me, let me jump in and ask some questions. Okay, so uh, one of the things that struck me is is really interesting and different is this idea of creating creating the need by in investing in things right so you bought some luxury items you want you got a nice place to live and all of that you did because it bolstered your confidence and made you feel good and right. and also by creating that need that then sort of turned up the heat on your motivation to build the business and get it going right Is that something, have you, uh, I bet there were a lot of people who gave you uh, all kinds of (laughs) grief for that decision in your life. You know, there are probably people who were looking at it and going, what are you doing? Right? Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you get pushed back on
1: that? I did. You know, I think if I had been in any other place in my life, I would have listened to them. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I took the jump from my law firm Uh, my first one, and started really digging into bettering myself is I was in a very, very bad relationship. Um, It was very emotionally, um, Mm -hmm. somewhat physically abusive. Um, And in January of 2018, as a last way to try to control me and make me feel like a terrible person, my ex-fiance killed himself. (laughs) um, It was just this turning point where, and he did it with his kids in the house and did all the, the stereotypical, like, let me make you feel responsible for this kind of thing. Um, and from that moment, I made a choice. I said, okay, I can either believe everything he's told me, believe everything that I've let other people put on me, or I can be the person that I know I am, because for a very long time, I was not that person. Um, so starting at the beginning of 2018, I decided, pardon my friends, screw what everybody else thinks about me. I'm going to be who I am and really step into that.
0: So, I mean, Mm -hmm. even
1: down to I got a very nice apartment that I couldn't afford because I knew that that's where I was meant to be. I walked into that place, it was full of light, it was calm, it was peaceful, that's what I needed. When Mm -hmm. I jumped out and opened my firm, all of these other lawyers, which Colorado Springs is a very male um, environment in the criminal defense law firm owner Mm -hmm. sphere, all of them basically did the kind of bless your heart, good luck kind of thing. Yeah. everyone said i was too ambitious everyone said that you're not doing this the right way even still i have lawyers um who call themselves friends i don't know that they actually are Um, other colleagues in the area saying well why aren't you paying yourself more how are you hiring all these people you should be taking home more money but that's not what this firm is about that's not what my purpose is my purpose is to build something lasting to provide for my people in my firm Because if I provide for them and I give them the best life, they'll give my clients the best life. And then eventually it'll come back around. So I, when people push back, that's fine. They can think that, but that has nothing to do with me. Their thoughts are their own and they don't have to sit on me at all.
0: Right. Right. I love that. I totally agree. Uh, And thank you for sharing such a deeply personal story. I know that that probably was a really difficult time for you. Um, it was, but that's part of healing. You have to talk about it and move past it. It's part of my past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you also, when you talk about conservative and, and being male oriented there, uh, Colorado Springs is a, it's a military town and it tends to be a pretty yes. conservative <laughs> town because of that. So I can imagine, you know, there are a lot of people who who don't think the same way that you do and approach it. So uh, I'm sure that's, you know, you definitely are probably encountering that there. <laughs> um <laughs> So you have built this firm very quickly. And I want to talk about how you did that because this, you founded this in June of 2018. Uh, So here we are in 2021. um, And when we're recording this, we're in January. So tell me you've got uh, six full-time employees and four contractors. Tell me how, Um, what made you decide to do that? I actually, I should have updated you too.
1: We just hired three people two days ago.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. So you have Um, nine full-time employees now? Yes. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um,
1: Thank you. So I think it really comes from two different places. One, I was very privileged to get to know a woman who had a marketing company here in Colorado Springs who taught me the importance of branding as opposed to marketing yourself. So part of what the firm, everything that I do, I look at the brand of the firm and I see, is this brand something or is this choice something that's going to support our brand? Our brand is very much about, I mean, it's, the name of the firm is right Logger, but it's not often and Associates because we're trying to get people on the right path in the right way. And what I believe is the right way is customer service. I was a server um, all through my education and I, I got to see kind of that customer service aspect. Up close and personal and what we do at our firm is we're really striving to provide that to the client because ultimately i mean the law is the law no matter which way you cut it lawyers are going to be able to, to do the legal work but the experience that a client has with the firm can be a very wide range of different things so i it goes back to the making choices that i knew to be right um i first brought on a in 2018 I had a contract paralegal who um was just working a couple hours a week. They had a full-time job elsewhere, but they would work a couple hours a week just helping me get some filings done just to make sure that I was staying on top of things. And then I had an intern um who had just passed the bar and couldn't find work, and so I said, "Well, I can't pay you, but if you want to come on and help me do this and learn for me, I can teach you criminal law." Um so she came on and Learned from me for about six months. She helped me um, cover things. She would write up case summaries, help me manage the caseload. And then ultimately, I brought her on as a contractor and then an employee. She was my first associate. And actually, she went out and opened her own firm last year, uh-huh. which is pretty cool. Um, uh-huh. So I ended up not paying myself very much. Um, uh-huh. Partially because I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted a team more than I wanted to be the one person and making lots of money. Um, Obviously, everyone wants to be financially secure, but I was at the point where I was paying myself enough to pay my bills, and that's all I needed. Um, It also has been very, very interesting to see that the more people I bring on, the more quickly we generate revenue. And it's not just attorneys, it's anyone. So right now we have myself and another attorney, we just hired a third attorney this week. We have two paralegals, a legal assistant, and then three uh, client relations managers. So those are the women that really, I say women because we only have women right now. Um, Those are the women that really focus on making sure the client's still heard, their needs are met, and they don't have to have any legal experience But because we are known for being such a client friendly and service oriented firm, we keep getting people in. Um, So I think taking the leap and knowing that the more you grow, the more you can provide that service to your clients, which means you can handle more clients in a better way, is really the key to our quick success. Um, Wow.
0: So that's that is really interesting. You you have three client care specialist or client care what I, I'm not sure what you what, what was the title you had for them
1: so I actually I have two so I have client relations managers which basically they're the ones that answer the phone make sure mm-hmm. internally we call them our air traffic controllers make mm-hmm. sure that the the clients get to where they need to go um, mm-hmm. if it's a question as easy as when is my next court date they can answer that
0: mm-hmm. and then we
1: have um, a client success specialist she actually is the one that does our intakes So Uh we don't have lawyers doing intakes anymore. We have our client success specialist doing that where she has been trained through sales training, not attorney training, to sell our firm. There is nothing about the sales process that involves or requires legal analysis. I personally think that that's a very fine line to tread if you do that because you could be giving legal advice without having been hired. And so I just, I take that out of the equation altogether and we have someone that sells our firm and that's how we get the clients to hire us. And then they get a strategy session with their lawyer once we actually can review their case.
0: So it's very interesting. You've always taken a coaching model and, and adopted that for a law firm, um, which is very interesting because using the term, you know, strategy session, um, (laughs) yeah, Uh, and, and, you know, seeing your approach there, I think that's that's really fascinating. I think a lot of lawyers are going to find that interesting because lawyers think that often think that uh, the the client is going to want to meet with me before they make a decision to hire. Right. And are you find, think, you're finding that's not the case.
1: So. It's twofold. One, if you, the lawyer, thinks that the client has to meet with you, then yes, the, the client's going to have to meet with you because that's your mindset and that's how you're thinking. Clients, and I do not mean this derogatorily to humans, but mm-hmm. clients don't know what they want. They don't know right. what is expected. Most of my clients are first or second time offenders who they don't know what a law firm should be based on what we think of as the traditional law firm model, mm-hmm. they know what they've seen on TV. And they know yeah. what they've experienced in other customer service areas. So honestly, we very rarely even get the clients asking if Brie, our client specialist, is an attorney. They just know that she's the woman that helped them out, validated their concerns, and said, we can get you back on the right track. That's it. Yeah. That's all they care about. Clients are human, and first and foremost, they want to feel heard, and they want to be supported, and they want to know you can do a good job. Right. So I think lawyers who think that it's either one, an ego trip and they think they're too important and they're really not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or two, it's they just don't, they haven't seen another way of doing it. And
0: yeah, I think I really that's think one that's way but, it. I think that's for yeah, it for a lot I of mean, people.
1: Look at yeah. all of the, the other industries. I really think law is probably about 20 years behind other industries right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't talk to the main person in the company. For quite some time, you're going through this process because our rule at right law group is anything that can be done by someone lower on the totem pole, they're the ones to do it. You don't push it up to the next level unless it's absolutely necessary. And that way you can have more people at the bottom handling the run of the mill issues where the people at the top who are the more specialized positions focus on what the real work is. And we, we also tell clients, you know, you don't want the lawyer answering every single person's phone call, because if they do, they won't work on your case. They won't have time. So right. you want us working as a team and you want this team approach for you.
0: Mm-hmm. So you talked about your intake person sending her to sales training, not, or having her uh, take sales training, I'm assuming virtually or something, but, uh, not being attorney trained. So tell me what sparked that idea for you.
1: You know, I'm trying to think about that. <laughs>
0: um, I, so I'm part of
1: um, a group of different masterminds and different lawyers across the country. And I'm trying to watch how other firms are doing things. Mm -hmm. I've also been looking at how other companies do things. I absolutely love digging in and learning about tech companies, um, service companies and Mm -hmm. seeing how they build. What Mm -hmm. I've learned, and some of it came through business coaching and and different trainings. But what Mm -hmm. I've learned is, from my personal experience, a lawyer wants to fix the problem. That's what their their right. natural urge is, is to fix the problem. The issue is we don't know the with the problem. We don't know the nuances. Even if the client tells us what the problem is, obviously the state is gonna have a very different side of that, or opposing counsel is gonna have a different side. So right. it's impossible to fix a problem that we're not clear on yet. Right. For the intake staff what a client wants is they want to know their problem can be solved not to fix it immediately they just want to know it can be solved so i found that if you don't have legal training so none of my none of my staff um doing the client intake or the client relations have any legal training i specifically ask them if they have it and if they do that's a check against them <laughs> they might be better for some other place in our firm but if they have legal training i think they'll get too much into trying to solve the problem for right. that position, we want someone empathetic, we want someone who can understand the, the feelings and the emotions that the client is feeling and reassure mm-hmm. them. So their training is more, the only legal training they have is they get to see our lawyers in action sometimes just to be able to have that confidence in selling our lawyers, but they don't need to know much about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, we teach them about the process of court so they can explain, well, this is what this court date is, but nothing about the legal nuances because that would, I think, dissuade them from being able to do the best job that they can for the client, right. which is just to honestly provide a listening ear.
0: Right, right. So let's talk about the, there's a couple of things that come to mind with sort of this structure that I think people are going to have questions about. One is, um, you know, you said you want to keep the, the lowest people on the totem pole doing the bulk of the work that doesn't require an attorney to do it. Right. So I think people are going to say, well, what are the attorneys doing a and B what I think they're going to want to know how, what you're doing is different from what your attorneys are doing. And um, also I, I think a lot of people look at the model and go, well, you know, if I have my attorney doing more, I can bill at the attorney rate. And so I can make more money that way. Um, So does it, does it benefit me to have somebody lower on the totem pole, like a paralegal do something? If I don't, if I have one less paralegal and I have attorneys doing some of this, I might be able to bill it at a higher rate. What do you say to something like that?
1: Well, I think there are two issues. Number one, we're criminal defense. So we're flat fee. Mm -hmm. Um, So our fees don't involve any type of billing or anything like that because for that specific reason, I don't want the attorneys thinking, "Well, I have to bill more time." I also don't think it's fair to the client. Just mm-hmm. because an attorney can do something doesn't mean that they should. It's not fair to the attorney because they're getting overworked, and it's not fair to the client because they're getting overbilled. Mm-hmm. I think that the the counter argument that attorneys would have as far as, "Well, I can bill more," number one, you have to do a gut check: is that right? If you were the client and you were in this position and you heard someone say, "Well," I can bill more for it. So I should, is that Mm -hmm. really what you should be doing? And number two, it's a volume thing. If Mm -hmm. it's, if you have more people at the bottom billing more, you can still make the same hours that the attorney would or the same billable amount, but you can do that for more clients and service more clients so that then when it actually gets to the attorney, the attorney can work on more clients and take more things to court and resolve more things and ultimately help more people. Um, So I don't don't know. I think maybe my perspective is a little bit different because of the flat rate, but I do think if you're trying to build up a bigger base, there's no reason not to. It may take a hit in the very beginning, but otherwise you're ultimately going to build a much more successful thriving firm. Right.
0: Right. So let's talk about the flat rates. Um, when you started out, do you, you had been in family law and now you have moved over to criminal law? How what information did you use to decide on how to charge flat rate, how much to charge for different things?
1: Um, I actually I actually never did family law. I was a DA and then I um
0: I thought you bought this family firm, law firm.
1: The first firm it. was a family law and criminal firm. Okay. Okay, okay. I thought it was just yeah, family yeah. law. Okay. Um, so, and that was, that was an issue that we had is how do we bill physically for our family law cases? And we were trying to decide that, um, Mm -hmm. as far as setting rates, um, I got a couple of tips from, um, a couple of people ahead of me in this journey, um, different Mm -hmm. law firm owners. And then I did some business coaching. What we did is we calculated how much time it takes to work on a case. Um, Mm -hmm. how much the attorney needs to bill, how much the staff needs to bill and basically what the overhead is there. So 30% of the case fee that we charge, and we call them prices, not fees, because there's a negative connotation with fees, but 30% Mm -hmm. of the ticket price is for attorney work. So the attorney should only be billing as much as 30%. Another 30% is for, I'm sorry, a third. So three, three, three. Um, another third is for the overhead. So that includes the staff, that includes our office, that includes everything that we need to make this this case run smoothly. And then the last third should be for profits or for bringing it back into the company and investing. So we reached our numbers by doing that analysis, looking at how much the attorneys were working, how much the staff was working. And then I also compared our numbers to the market averages. <clears throat> um, it's kind of difficult because i don't know if it's the same everywhere else but here in the springs lawyers are not forthcoming about their rates yeah
0: Um, i think it is the same in a lot of places
1: i don't understand that i i just had a lawyer who just opened up a firm um text me yesterday saying hey what do you charge for this and i told him right away it's not i think that there is plenty of work for everyone and i think that Mm -hmm. the idea that you have to hoard everything just puts you in a bad position there's no reason not to be open because if you're confident in your firm, you know that you're going to get the client over that other person with the same rate anyway. So it shouldn't be a bargaining or a, an undercutting. Um, I'd right. a bit, but generally our, our prices tend to be in the mid range of everyone else here in the Springs. <clears throat> oh, the way that up- I found out what everybody else charged. I asked my clients, <laughs> they would go to other firms and get consultations and then come to me and I'd say, if you don't mind me asking, what are they charging you? Just so I know.
0: Yeah. And so that helped give you a lot of information so you could price yours in a way that you thought would would be market smart. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think that's one of the reason I asked you that, the reason we kind of went into that is because I've I have seen a lot of, we know the billable hour model works from a standpoint of making money. And right. uh, because it's just, it's proven, right? But we're seeing a lot of uh, attorneys, particularly younger attorneys who really wanting to go with the flat B model for a number of reasons. One is because then we don't have to get into time tracking as much. And two, we don't have to, um, you know, if the clients seem happier, if they can just predict what it's going to cost for them. And then there are certain practice areas like yours. Criminal obviously is a place where flat fees make a lot of sense in, in a lot of cases. Um, but one of the things that I find um, that uh, many law firm owners and lawyers are doing when they're setting their fees is they don't have data to, begin. they don't have the data. Like I to know exactly how much, how much time it takes to handle a certain type of case. You had experience and an opportunity to get that, to collect that data before you did flat fees or did you not? I mean, that's, that's because I think that that is, that to me is what I'm always telling people is like, you can't just set your flat fee on a gut feeling. You have to do what you did and do some reconnaissance. You have to think, you have to figure out how much time it takes your team to do it. You have to, you know, look and see what's going on in the market around you, ask clients what you know they think. And then that's how you can arrive at a flat fee that's going to, actually make you money because oftentimes people set them and they're too low and they don't realize that they're too low because they're not tracking time. Um, But you sounds like you really were really thorough about that.
1: Yes and no. I think, I mean, when I was just on my own and I had my contract paralegal and I had my intern, I had no idea. I just kept the same rates as my previous firm had done. Um, and so in that, in that situation, it would have been just, if I'd gone out on my own without that experience, I would have asked a friend what Mm -hmm. they charge or asked some other people in other jurisdictions that were similar to mine and -hmm. just set them there. Mm -hmm. But moving forward, I think, and maybe this is the wrong approach, but I think at a certain point, you just have to set it and start working. Mm So you'll find out if it's incorrect. And if you find out that you've overcharged, refund the client. The client will be more than happy to take their money back. If you've undercharged, then you take that as a learning experience and you up your charge on the next case. Mm-hmm. Clients, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of law firms don't put their pricing online um, is because a lot of people do different prices for different clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, that's how I was taught when I first went out, but I've actually kind of nipped that in the bud. I think that that. Number one, causes confusion. Number two, it doesn't facilitate the sales process. And number three, it goes back to doing the right thing. It's all about that brand for me. It's, is that right? I mean, yes, we're going to have more difficult clients, but in the end, they even each other out. Generally speaking, I think 80% of our clients are just a pleasure to work with. 20% are really, really difficult. 5%, I I never (laughs) want to have to talk with or deal with. So when you look at it that way, it evens out in the wash. So if you're Um. setting... Flat rates based on either what you've seen other people doing, and then you adjust it based on what your time is. I think that that's a fair and reasonable way to do it. And -hmm. you can also then use it in your sales. So for me, I've built an internal product for our firm that has set prices. There is no deviation from this price. And you do a click down menu, it tells you exactly what the price is. And we're able to tell our clients, hey, these prices were set this way because this is the amount that it costs for our firm to handle your case in the right way. If you, do, mm-hmm. if you don't like it, you can go to the people who may bargain but know that this is how we do everything. We make sure that we're doing everything the right way every single time.
0: All right, so it adds a lot of predictability for them. And also what I love about that's uh, one of the things I've discussed with a lot of my clients is you have to have you have to have your fees set and have them in a you know on a sheet documented or in a, in a program like you have or something, I mean on a sheet uh, laminated or in a program like you have or something something that sets it. And says to, sends a message to the client, this is a set fee. This is a policy for the firm because this is what we've done the homework. And we know what it's what it's going to cost to do this. Because I think a lot right. of times attorneys get very, uh, people are sitting in front of the attorney because they get such access to the attorney during the sales process. And then they, are, they feel like it's a negotiation. And right. I can negotiate with this because it's just a person sitting across from me. as opposed to a business that has already set. (laughs)
1: Right. And I I have three points on that. Number one, I think attorneys use this quite frequently, but you don't negotiate your prices with the doctor. That's what the price is. That's what it costs to help you. But Uh, number two, um, I tell my clients when that situation comes up that, okay, this is the price. This is what it costs. They say, well, can you do lower? And I say, no, this is what it costs. And you would not want me to do lower because if I did that would mean that you, who has not gone to law school, no offense, could bargain me down from my position and have me adjust my fees for you. If you can do that to me, what does that mean I'm going to do in front of opposing counsel or the district attorney? If I'm so ready to step off what I believe is right, how much are you going to have faith in my ability to represent your best interest and that usually gets them past that they're like oh yes I don't I, I want to." <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is wonderful. That is wonderful. That's a great technique. Um, I want to shift to talk about before we run out of time, I want to talk a little bit about your marketing and your brand, your approach to uh, your brand and your marketing. Uh, One of the things you have on your website is you have a, first of all, I love your website. I think it's, it's very much designed. It's very client centric and it's designed to, um, to showcase the firm in a way that, lets people know why they should hire you. Okay. Um, and one of the things you've done is you have a video on mm-hmm. your about, about page and you talk on the video about kind of your philosophy and your approach. And, and it really, I think if some attorneys would listen to it who, and, and think, Oh, wow, I could never do that. I could never say that because you're really uh, direct about, you know, you may not be for everybody and there's some clients that are going to like you and some aren't, whatever, because here's your approach and the way you approach it. Was there, um, I, if you're in marketing, you understand that the stronger you attract, the stronger you're going to repel as well. So you're going to repel people who are not for you and you're going to strongly right. attract people who are. What was your thought process? What made you decide that this was a good approach for you and are you, have you been worried that you're going to turn people off and not, you know, attract those, not attract enough clients?
1: So I think the worry portion goes to mindset. And I've had to work very hard at that. I, I spend at least an hour every day doing something to get my mindset correct. Um, generally, it's while I'm getting ready and <laughs> driving to work, I listen to, yeah. to podcasts podcast and coaching. But I think that it is... Flawed thinking to think, well, if I behave this way, then I'm going to repel clients. Because if you're going to repel clients, you probably didn't want to work with those clients anyway. Mm-hmm. When I was desperate and trying to get everybody who came in the door, I would get these clients who were not a good fit for me. And by not a good fit, they either wouldn't pay or they would contradict my legal analysis, which in that case, I mean, why are you even hiring a lawyer if you think you know the law? I mean, go ahead. You're going to be wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> so I think that as with everything, quality of life is so much more important to me than being the richest person in the room or in the, in the city. I think that if I like my clients, I'm going to do a better job for them just as a human component. It's, it's not intentional, but I, I do. Mm. And I think that clients really appreciate that because clients, when they watch that video, I've gotten so many comments about that video. And they all say, we really appreciate you being honest. And not sugarcoating things so many lawyers say they're the best at everything and they can definitely handle my case and they can get this result but i know that they can't because they don't even know me they just met me and you don't act like that and so i think that number one you do it to protect you from not having to deal with really difficult clients and you hating your your job and not being able to do it and two Mm -hmm. the clients want to have that relationship with their lawyer and relationships i mean i like in a lawyer relationship to dating all the time, which may be a little weird, but I mean, you have to trust that person. You have to want to be around that person and know that they've got your back. You're not going to date someone who makes you feel icky, hopefully, and you're not going to date someone you don't trust. So why would you pick a lawyer you don't trust or a lawyer that makes you feel icky? Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, talk to me about your decisions uh, regarding your marketing, and and you really did some work. To brand your firm, um, and what was that process like for you?
1: Um, I actually took a branding quiz <laughs> um, just to kind of see, because I had in my mind what I wanted the firm to look like vaguely, but I took mm-hmm. this this branding quiz. It's called the Kane Putnam. It's K A Y N E Putnam, P U T N A M branding quiz, and I just went through and I answered it as me as just me as a person, because I was first opening the firm. Um, and it gives you all of these different brands under which you could fall. And it, mm-hmm. it gives you kind of what the, the sound of that brand would be. Um, and it kind of, it's all free online, which is fantastic. But yeah. it walks you through kind of what people are expecting when that is your brand. and um, explains the psychology behind that. So I took that and I got two results that were pretty equal. And I picked the one that seemed the most like the path that I oh, like, I'm doing it so long. It wasn't path back then, but that's how I now word everything. The most like I wanted the client's experience to be. So the journey. Right. Um, and from there, I actually had quite a time finding the right people to help me do this. So I hired one of those big marketing companies that everyone knows um, to do my website and they just would not listen. So I had this very specific view. I knew what I wanted, but they wouldn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I I even I'm not an artist by any means, but I sketched out what I wanted and they tried, but it just fell flat. Um, And this was I want to say this was nine months to a year into our company. So our our first Mm -hmm. website was just something I made on Wix that was thrown up there. um, But I think one thing is it's not luck. I, I really don't believe in luck it's making sure that you get quiet enough within yourself to hear when you need to make a change. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had to find that marketing person. My -hmm. marketing person is a good friend. Now he is my, my, my teammate. I mean, he's not part of our firm, but he is exceptional and he listens, he gets what I am trying to do. And he spends a lot of time talking to me about what I want for our clients, what I want the vision to be. And then he relays that to his team to make it happen in our, in our website. So mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of knowing what you want to be and finding out what your brand is because I truly believe that law firms should not be just the typical law firm. You need to have a brand, you need to have a message mm-hmm. and not just, I'm here to help you. It has to be something that a client can subconsciously relate to. Right. And once you have that brand in place, then you have to find the right person who can do that and join you in that path to make sure that it's showing up in the way that you want it in your marketing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, uh, you also have a lot of five-star reviews, and you talk about that on your site. You have 50 more or more five-star client reviews. And so that uh, makes me think you probably have some sort of uh, system or mechanism for collecting reviews.
1: Davina, you got me. I do not. <laughs> that is literally something. I just talked with our team. We have a team meeting every Thursday. Uh-huh. Um, I talked with him yesterday saying, Hey, we got to get these reviews up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I have no process
0: whatsoever. <laughs> um, oh, so you guys are just, you guys are just, uh, asking for reviews, asking for, right. For people. Yeah. So yeah.
1: our, until now, our general rule of thumb is if someone says you guys are so great, you did a great job immediately follow up with, you know, I really appreciate that. Can you, without saying anything about your case, can you leave us a review because other people, you know, we're new newer to the area. Other mm-hmm. people don't know our reputation yet. The only way they know is through Google reviews and mm-hmm. people love to help other people out and to feel needed. So if mm-hmm. you tell the client, Hey, that would help me a lot. If you could do this for me, would you be willing to do me a favor? People will respond. Um, but we actually, I want to get us more because I That's think next that reviews, your <laughs> yeah, reviews are yeah. key. And our clients say that they hire us because of what it said, the content of the reviews, not necessarily the number, but what other people have said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've spoken with, I have another criminal defense uh, client and they have said that they have surveyed their uh, clients and reviews are super important. That's how they make a lot of decisions to hire. So it's been very interesting. Um, You, you have your core values uh, posted uh, for everyone. And I want to talk about that a little bit and I want to talk about how and ask you how you, uh, I think a challenge for a lot of law firm owners when they're growing their practice is how do I take what my what I value what my values are or my personality or the thing that clients love about me that made them want to work with me initially and how do I pa- create that as a company culture and pass down that to my team so that it's the it's the culture of the firm and and people associate with the firm not just with Alexis
1: how right. have you done that well and we actually need to update our core values because what i i wrote those at first for what i had as a vision for the firm
0: so this mm-hmm. is what
1: i wanted to have everyone in the firm believing um and then i just <laughs> i counted it into the firm and everything that we write in everything that we do i brought that up in some way for me technology mm-hmm. is very big and so finding a new way to do things or doing things differently When we do our coaching, I have scripts for our client intake positions um, that I ask them to read over and over to really solidify that messaging and branding in what they say. And the more you say something, the more you start to believe it because you can trick your brain into it. The other thing I did is I asked my team, what do you think we're all about? What do we do best? And that helps them buy in because they then feel that they have a, a hand in the direction of the firm. Um, I'm very, maybe slowly learning that because I'm building a company, it has nothing to do with me anymore. My goal is to step back and be the manager and go on to my next adventure, Mm. but it is all about the buy-in from the staff. And Mm -hmm. I say staff just because they're working here, but we consider everyone a team effort and no one is valued more than another member because Mm -hmm. if they buy in and they are living what we preach, then it all works. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is really important is if your team has five different core values and they're different than what you have, let the team set it because they're the ones on the front lines. They're the ones doing the work as long as it's not something outrageous. If it's just slightly off, like for me, technology is huge, but my team doesn't care as much about technology as I do. So I talk to them about the importance of it, but then I let them lead with what they believe is most important. And for them, that's loyalty, honesty, integrity, making Mm. sure they're helping clients along the way which Uh are part of our core values. Uh
0: Um,
1: The other thing is in interviews, I will listen to see if someone says one of those buzzwords. I don't give any clue that I'm listening for it. I don't give them any direction. I do advise Uh people to look over the website first. Um, And this last round of hiring, every single person that we hired said something, if not multiple things that resonated with our values.
0: Because a Uh lot of it,
1: I think you can't really train. You have to just hire for that fit. Um, And we've let people go who didn't, who didn't fit the core values, just because if they are not a right fit, it's not going to be good for the clients and it's going to be toxic to our environment.
0: Right. Right. Uh, it, it definitely. When you get clear on your core values, the core values of your business, it really, um, it really works almost in an automatic way. If everybody's clear on the core values, because you just, again, it goes back to that attraction and repelling. So you're attracting people, who share those core values and people who don't share the core values, it won't resonate with them. Your marketing won't resonate with them. And the core values really are about the value to the clients that you're serving as well as your team. So it's the team and the client, you know, so it's about people at the end of the day who share similar values, you know? Um, So I think that's, that's, that's uh, really great. I was curious how you, how you, take that culture that you envision in your head and pass it down to your team. Um, so thanks for sharing that. So we are, we need to end here in just a second. So why don't you tell us how we can find out more about right law group and how we can connect with you if we want to.
1: Sure. Um, so right law group, you can just go to www.rightlawgroup.com. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn It's LinkedIn backslash right law group. We're on Twitter at right Law Now, Instagram RightLawNow, um, and then you can always find me. I love making friends on Facebook. I'm, I'm on there as Alexis Austin. Um, pretty pretty obvious <laughs> to me. Um, and our, our Facebook page for Right Law Group is also on there. And I like to connect, especially with criminal defense lawyers, because my next adventure is building what I have built for other people. So in the next year or two, I'm going to be doing that and selling my processes so other people can get a jumpstart on on, the, on their firms. So hit me up and let's talk.
0: All right. Great. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here today. I have really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in The League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.